Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory, where we are at the absolute business end of the season, Brett. Do you get like Damashek and Sal and the rest of those American football loving fans and start getting sad this time of year? Or are you excited for the summer break? Uh, I'm already just waiting for the intercity matchup. Like I'm already doing my breakdowns, got the spreadsheets out, you know, the old school like football boards the vibrating football boards i turned one into a soccer pitch and i was putting the players on it and seeing what happens when i turn it on so no i i don't really get sad i mean we we are lucky that we cover a sport that is year-round basically <laughs> so like i mean the champions uh league final is going to be june 10th i think and then we're going to turn around and people are going to start to listen to us i think like august 10th um so it's kind of fun like and in between you and i get to text each other about all the transfer stuff so there's no time to get sad in soccer. Zero time. <laughs> well, I think that's a really stupid way to handicap the inter and city game because by putting just players on the board and having them vibrate like that, that would be the most Lukaku ever moved correctly inside of his <laughs> box. So if you want to actually predict the result, you need to at least like create a dead spot on Lukaku or just have him spin in a circle for like 92 minutes. And that would be more realistic. I'll let you goes. create the Lukaku player. Cause you'll just put a bunch of like lead fishing weights on him, And then he'll just sit in the same spot. No, it's not lead fishing weights. It's, you know, it's massive stacks of hundred dollar bills, which is all he seems to really <laughs> care about that. And mashed potatoes and all the great, other great food that he's putting in his body. Somehow, somehow Romelu Lukaku is in the champions league final. This makes me sick, Brent. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing that makes you maybe should make you feel better is he's still not preferred to like a 38 year old Jekko. So yeah. there is that there. You got that going for you. Hey, meatballs, make sure that you spotlight this clip later when he comes back to Chelsea and he's in our starting 11 in August. And I'm saying how great he is. Make sure you remind me of this clip uh, at that <laughs> time, because I think that's going to happen. Uh, something else that happened this week, Brett, was the NBA draft lottery. And obviously the beautiful game is first and foremost in our heart, but both of you and I are basketball fans. So when I was watching the lottery this week and watching all the Victor Wembanyama hype, I couldn't help but start thinking about how that might translate to uh, what you and I cover every week. And then Woj gets on there with one of the hottest takes I've ever seen on ESPN, just flames shooting out of his eyes when he gets on a mic that everybody can hear. Not only says Wembanyama, Wembenyama is going to be the best offensive and defensive player in the league within three years. He said he is arguably, I don't even use the word arguably. I think, I think that's too nuanced for the Woj take that he is the greatest prospect in the history of team sports, uh, which seems a little bit far-fetched, but maybe not. Maybe he is that good. Like I haven't watched a ton of French basketball this year. So all I see is the clips where he looks like a seven, five alien doing six, four things. And so at that point, maybe he is the greatest ever, but we've had some pretty good ones in soccer. So I've got two questions for us based on this. The first one uh, from your experience in our beautiful game. I mean, you're not a hundred years old, so it's not like you've seen every one of these guys as use, but who do you think was the best uh, prospect to ever come up in the game of soccer? I mean, Obviously, it's going to be messy, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, I mean, well, if you take like Bojan off and like Josie Baxter from Everton and all the legends that I had to deal with sure. through there, Ross Barkley, who we both got to enjoy. Uh, Implied in my question, you can't consider Ross the boss. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Ross Barkley off the list. No, I mean, I think if you went a little more recent, um, I, I mean, I, I think it's got to be, you know, Trent. I mean, I got to rock with my guy like he he was. He was more Alexander Arnold was more noticeable to me because he has redefined that right back position so much. So it was just yeah, so he redefined it as a guy who doesn't defend. That's how he redefined it. Well, they're on a run right now. They're doing pretty darn good, and he's at the root of it. So uh, I'm not I'm not going to stand for any Trent Alexander Arnold hate right now. Um, this is a hate free zone. 
Um, but well, but he, you, he, you need to kill my mic and find a new podcast partner because it'll <laughs> never be a hate free zone when his name keeps coming. Mikey, up. you heard it. The boss, the boss just greenlighted you to mute his mic. Just Mikey, switch, you heard it. Just switch him to a midfielder, and I won't have a problem with this. Like, make him a defensive midfielder. I mean, that's basically what he, that's basically what he is, what like, he is like, right just now. Get him out of right back because yeah. even this week. That uh, that pass by Madsen just like slid by him for no reason to create a breakaway against the goalie because he refused to stick out a right foot, a right boot, like two feet to intercept it. He has no defensive instincts. Get him out of the position. Well, I mean, they are working on that aspect by basically having him play as a six. It's like nominally a right back, but <clears throat> when he came out of the scene and when he when his defensive frailties weren't looked <clears throat> so negatively on because the Liverpool midfield was chugging along and protecting him. I mean, it was just a, he was a unique prospect and, and he was obviously very good. He does it as, as much as we, you hate on him here. He clearly does a lot of things to impact winning um, as far as moving the ball up the pitch, putting balls into the box. Um, he's just a, a really unique and dynamic prospect. You know, it, it was just weird to kind of see him come out of the scene. You don't see right backs play like he does from the Academy most of like the fullbacks that I think of, you know, looking back at like young prospects that I was excited about were guys like, like a Kyle Walker, right? Like that's what you think of when you think of like a young fullback prospect, this like athletic burner who whips down the wing and like overlaps, whips in crosses and then, you know, stuns counterattacks on the other side. Um, but you know, Ar- Alexander Arnold was so unique in the fact that like now he's basically playing as a six, but like that's always been a skill set. So He's probably the most memorable of recent memory. I mean, obviously, Messi coming through La Masia is like going to be the greatest prospect ever. So, uh, I mean, but even yeah. even Messi, like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong because you know I'm not a Messi historian quite to the level like probably you are. But his big breakout, he was already like 19 or 20, right? Like he was a little more mature than like an NBA guy like Wembenyama who's coming in at 18. As I know, he made his senior debut around 17, but wasn't his big breakout about two or three years later? The hat trick against Real Madrid and El Clasico, nailed on starter, helped them win the league and all that. But I think he'd already entered his 20s at that point. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like Messi's more iconic moments are going to come when he was more in that 19 years. But like he was still playing for Barcelona at 18 years old. I think he had like a thousand minutes in like his when he was 18 um, for, for what was, you know, one of the most legendary clubs in the world. Um, I mean, I, I, that stuff to me is still pretty amazing. Like we don't give enough credit to that. And then in after that one year, yeah, I think he had like almost 20 combined goals and assists, like in his year 19 season for, you know, that 2006, 2007 Barcelona team. So like, I, I mean, he, whatever age he came through, I mean, I know we've had like, you know, guys that have come through younger, like, I mean, Ansu Fati obviously was 16 when he was making his debut and playing a little bit, but you know, Messi not only was debuting for a really good team, producing for a really good team as a teenager, like he carried it through. So retroactively, when you look at that level of prospect, you're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good one. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. You're already wrong. You started off this show very poorly because the answer was obviously Freddie Adu. I mean, I don't know how how a 14-year-old was America's next sensation uh, who ended up playing like fifth division and I don't even know what league. Pick the wrong day to stop stiffing glue. So there you go. Um, yeah. I mean, Messi, Messi is a, a good one. Uh, even though I'm, I'm picking nits a little bit of what age he became spectacular to the level he is. He was obviously, you know, a legend from the time that he first started kicking a ball at, at uh, Barcelona's Academy. Uh, interestingly, the other guy who's got a great shout for being best player of the year besides Holland is Mbappe. And Mbappe is the one that I really remember. I mean, soccer is really interesting in that they have youth academies, they have things like that. So you actually start hearing about people earlier so, like, I could tell you, you know, like some Chelsea guys from the U14, U15 teams that aren't ever going to be Mbappe or Messi, but you start knowing who they are pretty early uh, because they're already tied to your team versus like a 14 year old who's playing high school basketball in, you know, Indiana. I'm probably not going to have much of a tie to that person because I don't know if they're going to go to Virginia. Or I don't know if they're going to play for the Wizards or anybody else. You're just not as, as linked to them. But uh, but Mbappe, I mean, he was extraordinarily memorable from from the get go made his debut at 16 was already scoring hat tricks by 17 was scoring champions league goals by 18 by the time he was one age he was already on the cusp of like the most expensive transfer in in history so i think uh his fellow frenchman is the closest we've seen to Wembyama and mbappe and i just hope Wembyama turns out as successful as mbappe did and i hope that a guy like endrick 
who's the next great thing, um, follows his path as well. Endrick, 60 million to Real Madrid as a 16-year-old Brazilian. So we're going to see if he's the next guy who really takes up this mantle. Well, I also should make sure we mention one more name before our show gets canceled and we get called idiots by everybody. Uh, but Jude Bellingham, if you're talking about age and yeah. production, like Jude Bellingham still isn't 20. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I mean, he was playing uh, when he, I think when he, he played for Birmingham, like he was a regular nailed on starter for a championship level team at 16 years old. He yeah. played, I think well over 2000 minutes, like 30 something matches or 40 something matches. So like, that we can't go through this show without mentioning Bellingham, who still is a teenager as one of the best process of recent memory. The thing with him is he's a midfielder, so like he's not gonna have the goal contributions that we think of with like the hot prospects to be a lightning rod that kind of like Trent has been. Um, but like he as as far as impressive prospects, like he definitely is gonna be up there. He also gets credit for longevity uh, at Dortmund. Like we've seen Gio Reyna, we've seen Pulisic and other like young stars come up through Dortmund and, and have a strong run of five games, 10 games, even 20 games. But like season after season, doing it at the age Bellingham has done, he's kind of separated himself out and definitely yeah. belongs on the short list, particularly, you know, with any sort of recency bias applied. Second question I had for you, Brett, is I, I think it's inarguable that Wembeyama went to the very best possible organization for him to go to, like the infrastructure of the Spurs and the success they've had in getting the absolute best out of players. I mean, obviously guys picked first like Robinson and Duncan, but also guys like Kawhi Leonard and, and other people, uh, DeJounte Murray that weren't number one picks that became the best player they could be because they were drafted by the Spurs instead of say Charlotte or the Kings or people that haven't had success developing players. Who do you think the equivalent is in uh, in soccer? If you could take, you know, Endrick, and I know he's going to Real Madrid, but what team would you want to put him on to give him the best chance to be a global superstar for the next 15 years? I mean, it, I think it has to be one of these French teams. <laughs> when I look at it, like, you know, like Ren or uh, Lyon, obviously would be, if you're like, you're an attacker, I think Lyon would be a really good one. That's, I think, uh, who came through there? Benzema, Ben Arfa. Uh, Lacazette, um, the dude on Real Batista, uh, Fakir. So, like, there was a ton of really good French attackers that have come through Lyon in the last like ten years. And the French league is the league that um, has the best carryover of production in the Premier League. Um, so, I, I would think like if you're a young player and you're talented, a it's going to be easier to get minutes in France. Uh, B that league clearly has a ton of history in like really good players coming out of it and moving to bigger spotlights and doing really well. Um, and so I, I think like, that's like the no brainer. I don't know what's particularly which club I would probably just say, uh, you know, somewhere like Leona Ren, just because of the, the players that have come out of there recently. Um, but definitely somewhere in there. I mean, even PSG has produced some, I like Dembele came through PSG. Uh, I wouldn't want anybody to actually play for PSG now, but like Dembele, Coleman, Guendouzi, those are all PSG Academy graduates. I would not want a young player to go there, especially in this current state of PSG. Um, but I, I would think, I think finally settling in somewhere in France, Lyon sounds like the best bet. Yeah. We've got Malagusto coming to uh, Chelsea next year. So I sure hope you're right. I, mean, I think Dortmund is a, a pretty obvious answer. Yeah, uh, I don't good. know about I mean, RB Leipzig. My hatred of the, the Bundesliga went. Yeah, <laughs> I go over all there, but I mean RB Leipzig has, has been successful in this regard as well. But the players haven't translated uh, nearly as well outside of the Bundesliga. To your point, you know why the French league sometimes is a much better place to shop than in Germany. Uh, if you were to limit this just to like you know our more casual fans, teams they've heard of talk about before in the Premier League, uh, I think I'd probably have to say Liverpool. Um, just because like, if you look at it versus the Spurs, you're betting a lot on the infrastructure, the stability, the system, the resources, the history of being able to do this, uh, quite a bit, you know, also having a homegrown talent, et cetera, and so forth. If you go to a place like city, I mean, the chances you get minutes are going to be reduced and they're just going to keep bringing in global superstar after global superstar. Same with Chelsea United's a mess. Tottenham. Um, I mean, yes, they've done well with Kane and son, but it's not like the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on beyond that. So I think almost by process of elimination, um, Arsenal, Arsenal has recently, recently done well in this, but, but, you know, also doesn't have as long a track record. So I think if you were going to drop them anywhere in the premier league, you got Klopp, you have a tremendous fan base, deep history, um, uh, you know, great resources, 
have done well. They don't have like an academy that produces like superstar after superstar, but when they do sign young guys or bring in somebody like Trent, they embed them early and, and they bear fruit from there and they turn out to be pretty excellent players. Um, I mean, I guess you can go with something like Brighton or oh, yeah. those That'd other teams. Yeah, with one of those other teams, but I just, you know, even Brighton doesn't have a track record of a place like Liverpool, but make your Brighton. Evan, Evan Ferguson is going to change all of that for Brighton. <laughs> sure. Sure. The Irish Island. Uh, well, yeah, give your Brighton case and then we'll move on to this week's games. Well, I think the Brighton case is more recent. Um, I think anytime you're looking at developing talent and this goes back in my old career a little bit, it's like, it's going to be a combination of, of minutes and opportunity as well. Right. So Brighton is clearly putting together an agenda where like, they're going to buy these young players from unproven leagues and they're going to play them. Um, you know, they're going to give them time on the pitch and for young soccer players, like simply playing is huge in terms of their ability to generate uh, a path to stardom at some point. Um, so, I mean, you just look at what Brighton's doing right now. And obviously, like, <clears throat> you know, we're not talking about McAllister necessarily. And uh, you can maybe even throw away like the Caicedo case. But it's it's more the guys that are going to be, um, you know, like in CISO, uh, Undav, like those dudes, like those are young, completely unproven talents. And here they are like getting thrown into a team that's, you know, competing for the European places in the premier league. And that's what you want. Like that, that's what you want to have happen when you're a young prospect, when you're a team where they have this emphasis on, we're not just going to play like the 34 year old steady midfielder over this young, like 20 year old Venezuelan kid. We're going to play that kid and we're going to live with the ups and downs. And then he's going to have a chance then to develop because he's getting the minutes. Brighton is showing that this is part of their, their strategy for growth. So to me, it's the no brainer because, you know, Arsenal's done great. Like obviously buying and incorporating young talent and the stuff that's coming through Academy. But like, when you look at Arsenal's current state right now, unless you're a six, like, where are you bringing into that team? You know what I mean? Yeah. With like Ramsdale's and Chinko, Ben White, uh, you know, uh, Gabriel uh, Salva, and then, you have obviously Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, Odegaard, like no one is going to break in unless maybe you're a midfielder. So, you know, part of it's got to be a clear organizational influence, uh, emphasis, which Brighton has, and then opportunity, which Brighton, a team like Brighton also has. So to me, they would be the, the no brainer. If you're going to drop a prospect out of thin air, if it came down on a spaceship, like that's the club. I think you do that. Yeah. Although he probably only stay there a year or two. So I hope yeah. that, uh, when we play a lot though, school, that year. That's true. I wouldn't be honest. Stays at the Spurs a lot longer, and Arsenal's not going to have a hole at the six for much longer because it looks like Declan Rice is a pretty high likelihood heading that way. So they're going to be interesting again next year. But we will talk about that uh, come August. Right now, we still have a little bit of business left to go, and we have one game between big six clubs this week that might be the worst game played between big six clubs after May fifteenth in Premier League history. And so, of course, it's Manchester City first at eighty five points versus Chelsea eleventh at forty three points. This game is Sunday at 11, 11 a.m. Manchester City is minus 440. Chelsea is plus 1100. The draw is plus 500. City minus a goal and a half is minus 140. Chelsea is plus 110. City minus two and a half. I'm not giving this out accidentally because I think it's absolutely in play. Gets all the way up to plus 170. So, uh, Brett, with Arsenal kind of stubbing their toe yet again against Brighton last week and losing 3-0, Manchester City can clinch the entire league with a win this week or an Arsenal loss. So it's entirely possible that this is settled before they take the pit since Arsenal plays on Saturday. It is Manchester City's last home game of the season. So if they want to uh, lift the trophy or celebrate in front of their home fans, this is their only opportunity to do it. And this is an all time tactical mismatch between the two people standing in the managerial boxes. This is like when little <laughs> Mac comes out and little Mac and Mike Tyson's punch out, like barely his heads on the screen. And you see Mike Tyson standing with, uh, the, you know, his head doesn't even like come into the screen. It's off the screen. He's got rippling muscles anywhere. He's flexing and all that. And little Mac just thinks that he can compete, but uh, Frank Lampard's controller is unplugged. So it's just going to be like this really little guy. <laughs> that is the, hit with seven the greatest way, the greatest way ever to describe Frank Lampard's managerial ability. Yeah. Just it's, a person playing Nintendo with the controller unplugged. It's going to be a complete uh, and utter slaughter. So it's just a matter of how far up you want to adjust the line. 
Uh, I'm going to take City minus the one and a half at minus 140. Although by the time I see the lineups and if it's, you know, Sterling, Obama, Yang, et cetera, then that's going to 170 in a heartbeat. Lewis um, Hall appearance might help too. <laughs> yeah, Lewis Hall. Whole, I mean, Lewis Hall was good last week, but come on, you're playing City with the title yeah. on the line for them. Like this is going to be outrageous. I don't know if you feel differently. I kind of, I think the most appropriate thing possible would be if Arsenal lost and the thing was already decided so that Chelsea have to give the honor guard on the game on Sunday because there is no team in recent memory who has practiced standing around and watching another team more than Chelsea this year. <laughs> Well, I mean, look, and I think the one thing that we're going to see is uh, just that this city machine or this city team is just a machine like the second leg against Madrid. Absolutely. You know, after kind of a shaky first leg and a weird match. I mean, if they're doing that to Madrid, like what chance does Chelsea have? You know, um, I think that's what the way I kind of look at it is, is, you know, the Madrid, the gap between Madrid and Chelsea is gigantic. And City just dismantled them, you know, yeah. and now the title's on the line. Chelsea is managed by arguably the worst manager in the history of soccer. Their season's over. They have nothing to play for in either direction. Guys are seemingly checked out, as you alluded to, by them standing around watching teams more than any other team this season. So, yeah, I, it's taking City. I mean, you can adjust the lineup. You know, I'm, I'm fine with taking it at the, at the minus one and a half. Um, but I, you know, I think this is where like the getting creative with the props is going to be interesting. Um, you know, you, you could try to find some interesting stuff and I did try to find some interesting stuff, but the one that really jumped out to me was, uh, Grealish was incredibly influential on in the two legs against Madrid. He has been sneakily all year. He created yep. like six shots, uh, or assisted like six shots in the first match. I think he created uh, he created 0.6 uh, expected assists in the second match. Had like five other shot creating actions. Like he is really coming into his own in the second year. He's been really influential in terms of passing the ball into the penalty area, dribbling the ball into the penalty area, just creating dangerous overloads and plays. He's only plus 180 uh, to assist a goal. He's the far by far the most likely player to do it after KDB <laughs> to assist a yeah. goal for City. Um, so that was actually a number that really jumped out at me um, because I think a lot of the team stuff, you, I'm sure I, I'm, I'm setting this up perfectly for you because you found something. I know you did because you're totally no, didn't. And you I come, didn't. Oh, you didn't. Oh, yeah. I, I right, quit well, just like Chelsea has. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just really tough to find team lines with a team that has nothing to play for versus the most dominant team ever trying to wrap up a title um, or one of the most dominant team ever. I shouldn't say the most. Um, so, I mean, I, I just went with Grealish just because I think that's the undervalued pricing. He's been so influential. He doesn't really come off the pitch. KDB might get subbed off just to protect him a little bit, you know, so nothing yeah. weird happens before the big Champions League final. Uh, so if they're up early, you're going to lose extra chances for uh, KDB to assist a goal. So Grealish at plus 1A, that's the one for me. Yeah, the City team is just, they're so outrageous. Like Grealish has absolutely come into his own and start to justify his price tag and just dismantled Madrid, the, the holders of the Champions League and you know arguably the most legendary club there is and then Gundogan like suddenly becomes the best player in the world for a week just out of nowhere like that goal he scored last week was one of the goals of the season where yeah. he flicks it up, up uh, with, himself, a, with his thigh to himself and then like it's all it was almost like a standing bicycle kick uh, it's yeah. just like you know a, a, a reversal it, yeah. of the ball with his toe like at waist height without jumping to beat the keeper I mean how often do you see that? That was just outrageous bits of skill. And he's their ninth best guy. Like, I mean, I don't even know where he would fall on the list. They're willing to let him walk to Barcelona in this offseason, And he's scoring goals of the season with the title on the line. So they're they're. I mean, we're going to, we'll talk more about them. We'll, we'll have some legacy stuff to talk about them after they wrap up the title uh, going into the champions league. I'm sure we'll be gushing about them. Like I haven't looked at the line yet, but I imagine I imagine already our preview is going to be a little bit one-sided for that match, just like the game. Uh, so we'll hold off before talking. I'll come up with some more. hot Inter Milan takes. Don't worry about it. There you go. Uh, I hope you serve them hot because then Lukaku will definitely eat them down. Um, then for this week, though, before we jump into all that stuff in the coming weeks, uh, I'm just going with my portfolio bet. I'm going with City to win. Both teams score plus 175. I think City to win and clinch the title is a foregone conclusion. I also think they can celebrate, uh, do the champagne shower at halftime and come out in the second half drunk 
and still clinch this thing and allow maybe Chelsea to get a consolation goal at some point because Chelsea's going to have no defensive organization. They're just going to try to you know lump the ball up and attack the goal. If they start Lewis Hall, uh, he's going to get absolutely dissected by Pep. I, just, I don't see a path to victory, but I can see a path to a crap goal when City's up 3-0 or 4-0 and switch off in the second half. Yeah, well, I mean, and then as per usual, as the train I've been on for the last the latter half of the season, uh, Ederson is an issue and likes to give up those crap goals at the end of it. So yeah. I, I do I do always love the the sneaky bet. If, 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 if Ortega was there, I would say don't count on that crap goal. But Ederson... By all means, greenlight that bet, Toby. Yeah. Yeah. So the big question for my plus 175 is can a team with a billion dollars of attacking talent score one goal after Manchester City <laughs> starts celebrating their title with the home fans in the corner and leaving an empty pitch for them to play against? And just leave it up to the Brazilian should, Jordan Pickford, baby. He'll take care of your yeah. guys. <laughs> it, should, it should probably be longer odds. That's the real sad part. Um, all right, well, let's give our sponsors some love as Caesars and elsewhere, and then we'll be back with the other four games. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. You keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 or more wagers only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet is $1,250. The bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, it's 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW York or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. 
Okay, we are back and we are heading to Tottenham, seventh at 57 points versus Brentford, ninth at 53 points. This is the early game on Saturday to kick off the weekend at 7.30 a.m. Caesars has Spurs at minus 120. Brentford is plus 305. The draw is plus 270. Spurs minus half a goal is minus 125. Brentford is minus 105. So, Brett, before we get into this week's uh, action and predictions, I want to ask a more long-range question that's going to be really important in the offseason. Are we about to watch at 7.30 a.m. on Saturday Harry Kane's last home game in a Spurs ah, Spurs jersey? Oh, yeah, I mean... It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to see him stick around um, if there's only Europa Conference League or no European competition to play for. I just I can't picture that. Um, but the, the the crazy part is, is this game is in a state now where there's only like three teams he can go to, <laughs> you know, um, if that that's probably being generous. Um, well, Daniel Levy won't sell him to Chelsea. So it's really two teams. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously United's going to be the, that. that's really the question is, is Harry King going to probably leave for United this summer? Um, my guess would be yes. I, I can't imagine um, at this point too, because uh, Grace Robertson wrote a tremendous piece about this kind of the, the issue is that United are probably not close enough. They need someone at Kane's age range, uh, but neither do Spurs. And so I think the prudent thing for Spurs would be probably to move him on, take a big transfer fee, try to use that money to refresh the entirety of the squad. Um, And so I think they're at a position more than they ever have been with Kane to be ready to sell. The question will then be is who is owning United at that point? Um, And would there be another club that would be willing to pony up for Kane's services? My guess is that that second part figures itself out and he does end up leaving. It just seems like now's the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, Chelsea, Manchester United and Newcastle would all take him in an absolute heartbeat. He won't, they won't sell him to Chelsea. So I think it's Manchester United, Newcastle's a dark horse. And then obviously abroad, if he wants to do the fans a service and not go directly to another premier league team, but he shouldn't do that. Like he has served that club extraordinarily well. He's frankly the only reason we're still talking about them. Like if Harry Kane never existed, I don't think Tottenham would still be considered a popular enough team for even us to merit weekly discussion on this show. He's never won a single trophy. He has a chance. I've mentioned it, I think a few episodes ago, if he stays, he might go down as the greatest premier league player to never win a trophy. And that's not a list he belongs on. Like let him go play. Even if he goes to United and can make a real run at the FA cup or Europa or wherever else, that's something Tottenham just they're listless. Like they, they lost the Champions league final a few years ago. They hardly ever make domestic cup finals and they have no chance of running a 38 game successful campaign, given the caliber of teams against them. And like, given the fact that like Antonio Conte, is somebody that they fired, you know, like they're not going to bring in a difference maker. There's only four or five in the world. None of them are signing up for this project because there's not any ambition or talent to support it. So he needs to go. And I hope he does. And I hope that we see a massive send off for him on Saturday morning. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be a weird, it, it'll be very weird if next year rolls around and you're not seeing Harry Kane in the Spurs kit. So that'll be bizarre for sure. Well, for this week, Brett, I tried. I, I really, really tried. I backed them. I backed the Spurs in the five pint last week. But at the core of it, you just have to be true to who you are. Ivan Tony is a man who loves gambling even more than Sal. Son is someone who cheated in every foot race that he's ever been in because he can't help himself from starting any run too early. And I'm someone whose primary current directive in life is to fade Spurs. <laughs> In their last five games, uh, Brentford beat West Ham. They hung in 1-0 against the second hottest team in the league right now in Liverpool. They beat Forrest and Chelsea, and they drew with an Aston Villa team that was kind of really flying high. Uh, And Aston Villa beat Spurs just last week. So we talked about Chelsea's motivation problems. I don't see how it doesn't apply to a Spurs team that has an interim manager and also has nothing to play for. So as you pointed out last week, the Spurs have been better at home. I can't imagine the fans are super pumped to come spend a couple hundred quid to watch Sun stray offside and say goodbye to the greatest player who ever wore their kit. So I'm taking Brentford at least on the double chance at minus 105 here. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the big thing for me is with Ivan Tony out, uh, that is a massive blow for Brentford. Um, 
you know, they'll, they'll, they're, I mean, talking about guys that actually might take on a Spurs project, Thomas Frank might be one of them, um, but they'll manufacture some chances. But I mean, you're talking about the guy that has pretty much carried this team. He hasn't been quite maybe what we expected him to be when they came up from the championship and he had pretty gaudy goal totals, but he still is. 20- oh, he was great this year. I mean, he, he's yeah, been well, great. Like, his goal yeah. totals, he's at least one and two, right? I mean, he's he's performed every time he's been on the pitch and not in a sports book. Right. Well, he's, he scored he scored 20 goals overall. Um, now, granted, six movement penalties, um, but it, it's it's light years ahead of anybody else in the roster. I think Jonas Wissa and, uh, and Burmo are <clears throat> right behind him with seven and six. So, you know, you're taking a really massive chunk out of a Brentford team that doesn't have resources to lose that type of player. Um, there's a whole other conversation in a podcast of what that suspension will do for Tony for Brentford, um, who are probably going to move him on and sell him for a decent amount this summer. Um, so well, can they sell him this summer? I mean, he can't play until, what, I mean, I think they could, they, they could sell him. I mean, but just the team that's buying him wouldn't be able to play him until January. So it's going to deflate his market value to a point where you wonder like, why would they sell him? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see for, for where Brentford goes. They're obviously a very smart run club. I'm sure they'll have solutions in some form or fashion. Uh, but as far as the immediate future against playing Spurs who, I don't know, maybe they'll still be motivated by going to Europa, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I'm more betting against the fact that Brentford just lost kind of their do everything attacker. Um, he takes their penalties. He holds up play. He presses from the front. He creates chances. Like he was everything for Redford, basically. So I took the Spurs money line, uh, and then I'm also gonna, even though they have not been very good on the the <clears throat> defensive end, plus two twenty five to win a nil. Like I'm betting everything against the fact that Brentford lost the one guy that is their bell cow and putting balls in the back of the net. And so I'm kind of going all in on both Spurs winning and Brentford not scoring. Yeah. All right. Well, God bless on you taking the Spurs money line. I'm not that brave, but I am uh, aligned with you on the nil side because I'm taking the under two and a half at plus one Oh five. I think I'm getting six of the seven most likely score lines here and I'm getting a plus number in front of it. Tottenham, despite being better at home, they haven't been uh, exactly goal scoring machines. So they've been under uh, at home, under two and a half, eight of the 12 games since the restart from the World Cup. Brentford's been under in four of the last five games and they don't have Tony anymore. And as you keep pointing out, have kind of, you know, massive holes uh, to replace him and, and others. So under two and a half with a plus in front of it is one of my favorite bets of the week. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic bet. Anything that involves not scoring, even with as leaky as Spurs have been at the back, I think is a good bet this week. Cool. All right. Well, let's move down to Liverpool, see if we can find another good bet. They are fifth at 65 points, and they're taking on Aston Villa, eighth at 57 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Liverpool's minus 215. Caesars has Aston Villa at plus 525, and the draw at plus 350. Pool minus a goal and a half is plus 125. And Aston Villa is minus 160. Uh, so, Brett, I gave him a lot of crap at the beginning of the show because you called him one of the greatest prospects who ever lived. But that free kick uh, off of the Salah back heel with TA hitting the, you know, kind of the, the far upper corner with a lot of bend around the wall. That was that was beautiful. I mean, TA absolutely has talent and skills and things like that. I just stand by what I said earlier in the show, like just move him to midfield, let him get more involved in what he's the absolute best at, you know, one of the best out in the world, as you've correctly pointed out, and just remove the defensive responsibilities that glare, like these glaring holes that I can't stop staring at every time I watch them play. Um, but overall, look, they're on fire right now. They've won their last five games. Their Champions League chances uh, took a pretty serious blow today with Newcastle's win over Brighton. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they are showing a lot of a lot of verve here at the end of the year. So how do you view Pool's season this year? And should their fans be hopeful heading into next year? I mean, <laughs> I think the referendum on this season as a whole was when I was watching them beat Lester and Curtis Jones scored twice and not just because he scored twice. But my thought was, man, Liverpool might be in the thick of things if Curtis Jones was just healthy all season, yep. <laughs> which seems to be the ultimate referendum on yep. the 2022, 2023 season. Um, but I mean, it's been really impressive. Like they, you know, you got to credit Klopp. Um, it's, 
you know, he is a great manager, but he had a certain way that he wanted to play. And it was the heavy metal football with the pressing with both of his fullbacks getting up the pitch. And then all of a sudden he switches to this scheme that everybody's running where Alexander Arnold moves inside, basically plays as part of a double pivot pivot with Fabinho in possession. Robertson has been playing a little bit more of a reserve role on the left side, even though his entire career, his thing has been busting runs like into dangerous areas in the final third. Um, and then here they are, they're winning. Like they've obviously ripped off a ton of wins in a row here, but they're suppressing chances as well with still a shaky midfield. Like Curtis Jones is not a savior. <laughs> Anderson is still losing his legs. Fabinho, we don't even know where he's at, if he's in washed or just tired status. And they've just created a team that is now performing like one of the five best teams in the world. It's really impressive. Um, and so I'm, I'm a believer in what they've been doing. Like these games are looking more and more solid on their end. They're just dominating games like they did the year they won the title and closing things out. Um, and so I kind of went all in on Liverpool on this one again with the minus one and a half at plus one thirty, and then also backing the newfound kind of defensive solidity with the Liverpool, to win and nail at plus one sixty five, because we've talked about Villa. They randomly have had this hot streak and there, there was some substance to it. Like they have played well. It wasn't like totally fluky, um, but they definitely were playing over their skis. I just don't think the talent level matches what they were doing. Um, so I think we're going to see a little bit of regression here for Villa over the last couple of games of the season. And I think it's going to start here with the Liverpool team that a is going to be playing like hell to make sure they get all three points versus a Villa team that is like an outside shot to make Europe. But you know, if they yeah. finish eighth, they'll still be pretty happy. Well, I played the Villa regression last week against Spurs and got burned for it as they came up in a two, one win. Uh, but Liverpool ain't, ain't Spurs. Like Liverpool yeah. is a vastly superior team to them. Uh, I I oscillated pretty heavily between the money line at minus two fifteen and the plus one twenty five for the adjusted line. Ended up going with the adjusted line, sign of respect uh, that they're going right now and and how well they're running. Um, I think you you gave a very good synopsis of how their fans should be feeling. I think it's a different feeling a little bit for Liverpool to go into an offseason knowing that what you have isn't quite good enough. I think the last four or five years, the people they had in-house just needed some light refreshing. But yeah. you felt awesome about the 11 that you knew you were going to field in August and May. Uh, and I don't think that's the case for Liverpool. And I think that's the first time for a while that's been true. But Curtis Jones, he's the guy I wrote down as well. Like, 22 years old has been has been really excellent recently. Um, I, I wasn't a Curtis Jones believer in October, but watching him play in the second half of this year and staying healthy and contributing and things like that turned me into up. Uh, I just think that entering the offseason, not knowing how they're going to handle a rebuild, is the reason that as a Liverpool fan, I wouldn't you know be flying that scarf high all summer long versus just seeing what happens before I get excited about August. Um, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, uh, oh, I was just going to say the one thing I was going to point out is like we we mentioned this when we were doing our episode talking about who might be the next team that's going to win the Premier League if it's not City, and that recruitment question for Liverpool next year is going to be really interesting. And that was one of our both of our reservations was can they basically refresh this project now that the chief architect is gone? Um, yeah. So it's going to be really interesting. I I think this I think this season still for them even if they finish fifth and they only have Europa to, uh, to play in next year, I still think it's kind of an unmitigated success given essentially what they've had to deal with throughout the year and the reinvention that they've had. Um, but I mean, it's still going to be disappointing to see Liverpool in Europa. It's going to be disappointing for us because United is an incredibly average team. We're going to have to watch them in the Champions League next year. So, well, maybe, maybe Bournemouth might do us a solid this week. Bournemouth might do us a solid. I'm, I'm rooting for it, right? Like I'm hoping for narrative. I'm hoping that we have something to talk about next week that is a little more engaging. In fact, I'm counting on it, which is why I wanted to do the Liverpool next year uh, question this week. Cause I hope next week's match matters a lot. And that's all we want to talk about in terms yeah. of props. 
Uh, I just because Curtis Jones is so heavily on my mind as I was thinking about that question and thinking about their future, I looked up Curtis Jones props. Uh, shot on one shot on target is minus 115. He's showing a knack of showing up in the exact right area. They're playing a lot of cutbacks, TA and everybody else beating people down the line and getting him back into the mix and uh, an on rushing Jones either at the far post or right in the middle of the box, finding his way into it and steering one on target. He's been very, very good. He's not, you know, he's not a world-class striker or anything like that, but he makes a goalie work. He's not someone who takes an easy ball and sails it five feet over the bar or, or two feet left or five feet right or anything like that. If he if it falls to his feet in a shooting opportunity, he's hitting between the sticks more often than not to my eyes. I haven't looked up the stats. So to get him at minus 115 just to do that one time in this game, knowing it could happen any time against Villa, I think is another good bet. Yeah, I mean, really, the the, the move to for uh, Trent Alexander Arnold into the midfield has, has kind of freed up both the eights that play for Liverpool. Um, Henderson's been really involved in kind of moving around, combining like playing balls into the box, and then Jones has been the guy to your bet. Um, you know, kind of to back up your bet, Jones has more been the guy that's like making that subtle little run into the box now. Um, yeah. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up taking more shots above his average over the last couple of matches, especially if they're playing for something um, because the way this team is kind of coalesced and, and the pieces are now fitting together. You're starting to see that like his first goal in that last match, like he just made a back post run like from the, yep. the, the central midfield. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. Like this, this liberal team has been really fascinating. I think if I was an England fan too, I would just have such an appreciation for Jordan Henderson. This like turn back the clock thing that he's done in the matches that I've watched during this run has been so impressive. Cause I've just been like, all right, this dude's his legs are going to fall off. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he's been really impressive. This has just been a really interesting Liverpool. Uh, I mean, I, and I'm, I'm grateful as like a fan uh, in a season that's had some like blah moments for a lot of it. Um, I'm really glad they have went on this run. So we actually can like, hopefully see a little tension for that fourth and final spot for the champions league. Yeah. I feel the same way about Arsenal, right? Like I'm so thankful that Arsenal made as long a run as they did. So the champion, uh, the championship at the top, the premier league title was at least interesting. And it didn't look like top four was going to be interesting because, you know, Spurs were fading and anybody could see it. But then Liverpool charged up the table to make it competitive. And so I'm in on this, man. And like, I know I'm a massive Chelsea homer and I want them to win the league every single year, but I also watch all of these games and the more good teams, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's been, yeah, definitely grateful to Arsenal. I know Arsenal fans like our guy, Sergio, um, (laughs) he's, I know they're going to be sad about the fact that the title race didn't get all the way to the final game or, and it could be over this way. Yeah. Um, But I mean, it's also one of those things too, that if, if you would have told an Arsenal fan that they would have been, competing for the title all the way up to the penultimate week. I think they would have taken that and then some at the beginning of the year. And, and they've given us a lot to talk about this season. So it's been, it's been really nice to have those two developments this season for sure. Uh, All right, well, let's take a break and then we'll talk a little bit more about United and Arsenal as we still have their games to cover. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Okay, two games left, Brett, and one of them is Bournemouth. 14th at 39 points versus Manchester United. Fourth at 66 points. 
Saturday at 10 a.m. Manchester United is minus 205. Bournemouth is plus 525. The draw is plus 340. United minus a goal and a half is plus 127. Bournemouth is minus 165. So if United is going to create some drama, this is where it's going to happen. Uh, and I really, really want to bet the narrative that they're going to bottle it. And we're going to go into next week and it's going to be down to the last game. And it could be even if they win here because they do have Chelsea midweek. Uh, it's not like they're just going to walk to the title if they take care of Bournemouth on the road here. Uh, but I just I just can't. There's I I looked at Bournemouth. I stared at them. Uh, I looked at all the numbers. I looked at the roster. I watched the game last week, and I, Dang, I Dango couldn't do it for you. You couldn't get I on the Dango. Spend, I cannot spend money on that team. So uh, <laughs> they lost. They suffered the ultimate embarrassment right now, which is losing to Chelsea three one. They lost two nil to Palace. Uh, there's just no way I could do it. So United have it all to play for. Bournemouth is safe. They can clap their fans with their heads held high. Win or lose here. I say it's a loss. Uh, I, I just like Liverpool. I went back and forth between the money line and the adjusted. Ended up taking the United adjusted minus one and a half at plus one twenty seven, just because I like to bet United extremes and I want to get better odds. Yeah, I just took them. Uh, I mean, I took them with spread. Uh, I mean, I'm like you. I want. I wanted every. I told you. I, I looked at everything. I I had all the spreadsheets out, man. Like I had Chat GPT, like trying to help me find any trend I could. <laughs> Uh, I couldn't find anything. I mean, the Bournemouth is, is got the worst uh, uh, XG differential in the league. They're, they're not very good. They had a little bit of a hot run that kind of saved them. They definitely got a lot of luck during that run as well. Um, <clears throat> this team should theoretically be the one that one of the ones that's going down. They should have been in Southampton spot of having their fate sealed last week. Um, and United, if they were still playing Europa and they had a midweek competition or something, I would have been a little bit more, you know, able to kind of weasel my way into they might be tired and Bournemouth might be able to do something, but I couldn't. Um, and, but I did get creative and I'm very proud of this. I'm like, it's like a mission impossible thing. I'm going to put my Toby mask on and get my voice thing. Uh, <laughs> sure. But my, my prop bet Toby is a, is a parlay involving corners. Here we go. You have my attention. The under of two and a half goals. And the over of 12 corners is plus 550. And Toby, do you know how many corners combined United and Bournemouth give up? 12.5. A lot. 12.5. They gave up a lot of corners. United sneakily gives up a lot of corners. Bournemouth gives up the so sneakily, it's like saying that my new kitchen is sneakily put into my house. No, it's there because United gives up a lot of corners and I keep betting it. Yep. For a, for a top four team, they, they give the six most corners in the Premier League. Uh, you know, Bournemouth is going to be at home. Chances are when they go up, they'll they'll press a little bit, at least out of the competitive spirit. Um, but, you know, already combined, you're getting the 12 and a half corners. It's plus 550, getting under two and a half goals. I could very see the very easily see this match being one nil if Bournemouth nicks a point. It's probably going to be more in the one one range, uh, and then two zero United is going to be probably the most prominent scoreline that you would expect. Um, so the under two and a half goals covers a lot of scoreline ranges, and then you get the over of twelve corners, which I think seems almost built into this match, uh, and it's plus five fifty, getting a little over okay. five to one. So. I absolutely love it, but you know, I was the clear target audience for this. Yes, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. Just trying to please you, not not anybody that listens, just the person that calls the show. Yeah, if uh, if we ever get to the point in AI where you type in, "Hey, uh, can Bournemouth win this game, or can they cover?" and the answer from the AI is, "Why you are watching Bournemouth?" That's when we were like at a Skynet situation. Yeah. That's when I know 100%. it's reached the intelligence to take over the human race and isn't just spitting out statistics. <laughs> it uh, should just say, go see a therapist if you're watching Bournemouth. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it shouldn't even say it. It should automatically like link to a therapist. <laughs> yeah, link a therapist to a, should pop on, a therapist should just pop up on the screen. There's just a better, a better health, health or better help advertisement just pops up right away. There you go. Um, my prop isn't anywhere near as impressive, impressive or elaborate. Uh, I just like the way Anthony's look lately. I think Rashford might be back, and so he might not be as much of the focal point, but he's been extraordinarily lively in the last couple of weeks, particularly last week in their game. That uh, layoff that he had was extremely unselfish to Martial for basically a tap-in on the breakaway. Fernandez, a couple more excellent passes. Uh, so I 
I like to think karma is going to reward him from being so unselfish last game and for working so hard for the club. 230 anytime goal scorer. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take it in, I believe, to be a low-scoring game. I do believe with your overall philosophy. I just think if they get on the board, he's a better than one in three chance to be the one who does it. Yeah, I mean, those are good bets. People scoring goals against Bournemouth has happened all season. I don't think it's going to stop, uh, well, not tomorrow. Uh, when was this one? Sunday? Whatever. This weekend. That is, that is certainly true. Uh, all right. One last game, Brett. We got Nottingham Forest 16th at 34 points versus Arsenal second at 81 points. This game is Saturday at 1230 PM. Arsenal's minus 175. Forest is plus 430. Caesars has picked the draw at plus 320. Arsenal minus half a goal is minus 180 and Forest on the double chance is plus 140. So we already touched on this a little bit, but I, I wanted to kind of crystallize it in a question for you because I think Arsenal's season's about to be over, either through their own doing or from City's doing before we tape next week's show. Uh, will you remember the season more for Arsenal bottling it in May, kind of like we remember the Giroud slip and Liverpool losing that title more than anybody else winning it? Or will you remember this for City's utter dominance throughout the season? I mean, the Gerard slip. I'm sorry. What did I say? Drew, but I mean, uh, I, I had Drew on the mind too after watching that scintillating Milan attack in midweek. I actually don't, I won't remember it that way. I, you know, again, I'm grateful that this Arsenal team came, rose up to challenge City in a year where a lot of the other teams fell off or were pretty unimpressive. Um, I don't, I don't think you can look at it as bottling it because like there's a clear talent disparity, right? You know, like you have Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Holland and Jack Grealish and Phil Foden and the list goes on and on and on. Um, versus, you know, a bunch of young, exciting players, but clearly guys not on the level um, that City has. And, you know, I, I again, you know, Pep is a genius. I, I will never question him again. I'm going to go back and scrub the internet of our old podcast where I was questioning the Cancelo move and if the King has lost his mind. Um, but I'm going to remember it mostly for for what City did. Like, he he found another solution. He took a player in Holland who clearly is a, Big time talent, but you know this is the thing that we probably already forgot. We had questions of whether Holland could fit into the city possession machine, and boy, Toby, he fits in pretty darn good, you know. Um, so uh, I think I'm going to remember it more for what City was able to accomplish, more for Chet, for Pep reminding us that he is a mad genius and he will just figure some things out to make these teams run to their max level. Um, more than anything that Arsenal was disappointing. I mean, they, they were clearly the underdog throughout the entire season. You know, even when city was, was behind, they were still favorites at a lot of points, uh, in points. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just props to Arsenal for, for pushing them this far. Maybe we'll get it. So it goes in the end of the season, um, to the, or to the, to last weekend of the season. But this to me is just the city year. It's just, it's just pep putting a stamp on the fact that he's probably the greatest manager that we will ever see in this sport. Yeah. Um, I'm in agreement and I'm in agreement for mostly the same reasons, particularly around the city, but comparing it to the Gerard slip, not the Drew slip, the Gerard slip. Sorry about that. Um, I think Liverpool underachieved that year by not winning the title. And it was spotlighted particularly and particularly painful because it happened so late. And I think Arsenal overachieved by even being competitive that I thought yeah, they were ahead of 100%. schedule. They were ahead of schedule. We didn't expect, you know, we expected Martinelli to maybe eventually be this player. I don't think we expected him to be this good this soon. Um, Odegaard, you know, outside of KDB and Holland's arguably been the player of the season in the entire mm -hmm. league. I think, you know, Harry Kane obviously is in that conversation as well. Uh, Saka continues to excel. Jesus embedded immediately. Like, I just think they overachieved throughout the year. And so to say they bottled it just because they had a lead against one of the greatest teams we've ever seen and, and they weren't able to get across the finish line, I think they just ran a hell of a race. And it was not what we would expect in August, whereas that Liverpool team, I think, should have won the title. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that you can maybe pick at from this Arsenal team is like, did Arteta play too many of the key players in Europa a little too much? But I mean, you know, the one part that we, we kind of have to throw out there as well is like, Hey, Zeus missed multiple months of the season. Uh, Saliba was out and we got a, a ton of Rob holding appearances that did not end well for Arsenal. Um, so, I mean, I, I really do think they maxed out where they were. Um, and I, I think that, in no way, shape, or form should any of the criticism be, well, you know, we were in the lead, they should have won. 
Yeah. They were holding off a, a juggernaut. Like that's what they were doing. And with then towards the end of the season or middle of the season, sometimes with duct tape and some scissors and some super glue. So this game's really, really, really hard to handicap because it's hard to know if Arsenal's heartbroken after that loss to Brighton and the inevitability of coming in second. Cause they, I mean, they're so far ahead of Newcastle. Like they're kind of locked into second unless you really believe in miracles and that they're going to win out and city's going to lose out. Um, so what kind of arsenal we can see, I think it does help that they're playing before city. So technically they still have something to play for in this match. hundred percent agree with that. And, um, I think overall, I'm just going to pay respect to their season by backing them in this game and thinking that they're going to come through as champions. But I will say, I thought the same thing last week against Brighton and they cost me a couple of bucks. So for the purpose of the show, I'm going to pick Arsenal. But honestly, I am staying away from the from the match result when it comes to putting in my tickets on Saturday. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm more comfortable because they're playing Forest, and Forest is uh, like the trash panda of soccer. So I, I just think that this is a really, I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm really bummed. Like Forest is a ton of tradition, obviously, in the Premier League, but like. There is nothing interesting about Bournemouth, Forest, and Wolves. And all three of those teams are very likely to stay up. Or, well, I wouldn't say very likely, but likely to stay up. Um, but Forest very is just, likely. It's very uh, likely at this point. Yeah. After the point they got against Chelsea last week. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just, it's, they're just a bad team, though. Like, that's the thing that, that is kind of a bummer. This is a really uninteresting, really bad team. They don't do anything well. They don't do anything interesting. They don't have interesting young players unless you're like a huge Brennan Johnson stand like Toby here. So like I, I just I went with Arsenal on the money line. I know you're gonna say Harry bet. Um but you know I, I took a money line and then I think the thing that maybe where you could kind of factor in like some flip the switch flip is if they get up a couple of goals or three goals um, Forrest might nick one against them just because that that back line for Arsenal has kind of been their problem down the stretch run. So I then my prop was Arsenal to win and both teams to score it was plus 190. I hate betting for Forrest to score, but it does kind of seem like a thing where maybe you know Arsenal is fired up to to lock this game down, at least put some pressure on City. They get up two or three goals, and then it's the famous Toby switch off moment, and and his and your boy Brennan Johnson nicks one at the end. So this is where I got creative, uh, Brett, and I'm going almost 180 degrees from where your head's at in this match. Uh, I wrote down several, and you're going to like the third one I give out. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, I have a memory of last season of trying to handicap the Chelsea Everton match, where Everton had some threat to go down, and the home crowd absolutely li- lifted them up and took them to a victory over a Tuchel-led Chelsea team, not the crap that we watched this year. And with um, Forrest kind of playing for their lives, they need they do need a point to feel secure, at least one point, because Leeds and Leicester at that point would have to win out if they got one more point and that ain't happening. Um, so they still have a lot to play for. They're playing in front of a home crowd that absolutely wants them to stay up after kind of yo-yoing back and forth. Um, and then Arsenal could come out and be heartbroken. So Arsenal could win this game, but thinking that they're going to come out and dominate from the beginning, I think the home crowd has a chance to lift Forrest up. And therefore, plus 140 for Forrest to score in the first half. Not only do, am I betting the narrative, am I betting the uh, crowd noise and, and the atmosphere, uh, Forrest has scored in the first half of each of the last four games. So while they might be the trash pan of soccer, from your opinion, they are playing these open, entertaining games, and they are converting in the first half, at least over the last month. A couple others, if you really want to follow this thread, Forrest plus 360 to win the first half. And then the one I know you're going to love, because this is a favorite of the show and, and melds into some of your bets you just made, Arsenal plus 600 to come from behind and win. Oh, so I love that. If Forrest That's gets good. the first one, Arsenal is plus 600 to still pull off the win because they're the vastly superior squad. And they, uh, But if Forrest gets that first goal, that is an outstanding value to be holding. Yeah. And the final one, over three and a half goals, plus 140, a little more vanilla, but also been a winner in Forest games lately. So if you want to log out right now and go place that for Arsenal to come from behind and win, I understand. I will. I'm not going to steal it for the five pint because I have integrity, um, but that is a really good bet. You're not going to steal it from the five pint for some reason, but it certainly ain't due to your integrity. Uh, <laughs> so that does bring us to the five pint in the end of our week's show. Uh, we are close to neck and neck. 
like I, I guess that's a stupid way to phrase that. If you're neck and neck, you're naturally close. So I could have saved some words there and I could have saved some more words explaining it. And I probably could keep saving words if I stop talking about it. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. A bit of vicious um, cycle going on right here. But we are neck and neck. Uh, we're both close to even and we're so both sitting right around 10 pints for the month. Uh, treading water for May so far. So let's go ahead and make some money this week. I plan to do it with four plus money bets. I'm going United Liverpool on a parlay on the money line, both to win at plus 120. After like going back and forth about the one and a half in both games, and I decided putting them together on the money line was a safer bet than any of them, either of them individually, to win by two goals and give us some drama next week. So United Liverpool both win plus 120. Tottenham Brentford under two and a half goals plus 105. Curtis Jones one shot on target minus 115. City wins both teams score plus 175. Popular bet that I keep putting in there week after week. And then I believe in that narrative so much that I just gave you. I am taking Forrest plus 140 to score in the first half. Oh, all right. Well, this is this is going to be an interesting slate on my end. Um, I'm betting a lot of a lot of things that I probably shouldn't be betting if I'm this close to somebody. But you know what? Screw it. We all got to take chances and live life. We only get one one chance at this. Um, so the the first mistake I'm probably making is putting not one but two Spurs bets in my five pint. Oh my god! I'm going to take the Spurs money line for one pint uh, over Brentford, uh, and then Spurs to win to, to nail a plus two twenty five for one pint. Uh, then I'm going to take I'm going to take my 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 super creative bet that made Toby so happy. Uh, I am going to take the under two and a half goals and over of 12 corners at plus 550 in the United Bournemouth match. Um, and then I'm going to take Liverpool to win to nil plus 165 for two pints because unlike you, I'm a Trent believer and I think that they are going to hold Villa's attack to zero goals. Okay. Well, we have one show left for the regular season, guys. We will be back next week to preview one of these single best days most years on the soccer calendar when all hash is finally settled. We find out who's going down. We find out who's going to Champions League. And we find out who won the title uh, last year. That was true, at least. It's probably not going to be true this year. But I guess fingers crossed that City somehow blows it against Chelsea, Arsenal wins, and we have a real thriller to talk about next week. I do, I do hope that we have some narrative, but either way, we will have fun with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. See you all next week for the final week, guys. Take care, y'all.